Welcome back to From the Press Box, the Holland Sentinel Sports Staff's weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything sports. I'm sports editor Dan Diodano, along with our assistant sports editor Will Kennedy. And Will, we've got a lot to talk about today. It was a big week in sports, both uh, locally, uh, regionally, nationally, uh, all in a couple of interesting things. We've got uh, uh, high school basketball started. We'll talk a little bit about that. We've got Heisman Trophy finalists named. We'll talk a little bit about that. College football playoff. Uh, but we've got to start with a national story that's also an extremely local story. Uh, Zealand native Jim Cott was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame on Sunday. And he was, well, finally, yeah, it was uh, quite the wait. And we'll discuss that. He was uh, one of six players elected in the uh, four by the Golden Era Committee and two by the early, day, early days, uh, early baseball committee. So um, one of the bigger classes not on the writer's ballot that has uh, that has been uh, put together in quite some time. So that's uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. I mean, we'll start with, we'll start with, with Cot. obviously um, he, uh, he got 12, you had to get 12 of the 16 committee votes. He got exactly 12. His teammate, Tony Oliva got exactly 12. Former Brooklyn Dodgers, great Gil Hodges got exactly 12. And Mr. White Sox, Minnie Minoso got 14 out of the 16 votes. So they were the four that made it on the golden era ballot. And then on the uh, early days ballot, uh, Negro Leagues legend and ambassador Buck O'Neill made it after uh, very uh, infamously missing it on the Negro Leagues vote in 2006. And then he died right after that. Um, And then Bud Fowler, who was the first black professional baseball player in American history in like the 1880s was elected and uh, he broke a lot of barriers um you know for a lot of different leagues he played on all black teams like the adrian page fence giants which is one of the first black professional teams and that's adrian michigan uh so they had they had the uh a big start to uh black professional baseball was in michigan and then he also integrated a lot of leagues. He played in integrated teams. He played on black teams. He played in the minor leagues. He played all over the place, um, barnstorming teams, all, you know, just as the National League had just, you know, had been formed a few years earlier. So it was very early in the day in, in baseball. But uh, very cool uh, that he was uh, elected. Uh, he actually was born in Cooperstown which is really funny, uh, which is really ironic and awesome. Very poetic that, uh, that he's there. Um, they had recently named or put a plaque in his honor at the, at the field there in Cooperstown. And now obviously he'll get a much deserved honor as well as one of our pioneers, but let's get to Jim Cott, uh, Zealand, uh, Zealand native Jim Cott. Uh, he won 283 games, uh, he, which is a lot. Uh, he won, uh, which is a lot, a lot, especially in today's game. Uh, there's obviously a lot of talk on how big of a deal wins are, but a win is a win for sure. Um, and 283, that's, uh, there's nobody getting near that anymore these days with the way they do rotations and use relief pitchers and stuff. So uh, he also won 16 consecutive Gold Glove Awards as the best fielding pitcher in the game. Uh, which is still it's tied with Brooks Robinson for second all time. Um, Greg Maddox has since passed both of them, um, but uh, that's that's an incredible feat amongst itself just to to uh, to have those fielding honors. So you put that together with 283 wins, 
Uh, he struck out 2,400 guys, um, and mostly for Minnesota. Uh, he, he started in Washington, and then they moved to Minnesota. So he was one of the original Minnesota Twins. Pitched on uh, the Twins through through the 60s uh, and into the 70s. Helped them uh, win the pennant in 1965, and actually pitched all. He was their number one starter at the time. He pitched all three of his World Series starts against Sandy Koufax in a duel of the best lefties in the game. And he actually, he won one of them. Uh, he lost, uh, he lost two of them. Uh, like, I think it was two to nothing and one to nothing, something like that. And then he won, he won one of the games two to nothing. Um, so uh, how amazing them. That's how the been. entire uh, current New York Mets pitching staff probably feels every day. Right, right. You know, run support ever. Exactly, exactly. So that was, uh, I mean, that's kind of how the game was in the in the mid to late '60s. It was a yeah, pitching dominated game, um, but uh, uh, very very cool to see him elected. He he pitched from like 1959 to 1983, which is a long time. Uh, he, you know, he got a, he. Uh, I don't know if got a lot of flack is the right word, but he he hung on as a relief pitcher the last few years. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that watered down his chances for the hall of fame a little bit, you know, cause he wasn't still great, but at the same time he won the world series championship in 1982 with the Cardinals. So he hung on for the title and they won a title. So, I mean, he's pitched for a lot of teams, but it's amazing to me that he pitched on a team in the sixties that it had like Harmon Killebrew and Rod Carew and, Tony Oliva. And then also, he also was on the Cardinals with like Ozzie Smith. This is, seems like 10 generations later, even though it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I saw some stat. You might have tweeted it out or, or somebody might, you might have retweeted it or something. But it was like, I don't remember the two players exactly. But it was like Jim Cott started his playing career pitching to like somebody from like the early 1900s who's like historic and ended it by pitching to like, I don't know, someone who played in like the 80s or 90s, played up until the 80s or 90s. He was probably like a rookie in Cott's last year. And it was just like, right. He's like super famous names where like you don't think could ever possibly have one player play against both of them. You know what I mean? Right. Like, absolutely. Oh, Jim Cott, this is this probably isn't actually accurate, but it's like, oh, Jim Cott pitched against Jackie Robinson and Rafael Palmero. It's something like absurd right. like that. Right. It is, it is like that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably something quite similar. Um he in the in 59, I mean, he would have pitched against like Yogi Berra. Yeah. Um and Mickey Mantle. And then, but he also would have pitched against in 83, you know, he, he pitched against guys that played through most of the nineties. Yeah, exactly. Like Ozzie Smith, Ryan Sandberg, um, Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn pitched into Tony the two thousands. He, I, I, I'm sure he pitched to Tony Gwynn. So that's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, Oh, I bet. Here's what, here's where I probably is this. He pitched to Ted Williams. And he pitched to Tony Gwynn. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the. the and that spans yeah. that spans. I mean, Ted Williams started in the 30s, but he left the game in 1960. So you got that, and then Tony Gwynn played until like 2001. Yeah. So that's those are the two average batting average wise. Those are the two greatest hitters since World War II, um, and it spans all that time, which yeah. is amazing, and. The biggest irony is he waited longer than that to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so I wrote a column kind of about the waiting game afterward, after the initial news. So Jim Cott first hit the Hall of Fame ballot 32 years ago. 
So he's been eligible and voted on and gotten support. It's not like no one, th- I don't think anyone thought he was going to get in on the first try. It's not like he's not at that, you know, level of a, you know, Mickey Mantle type, you know, or for a pitcher, you know, he's not a Greg Maddox, yeah. you know, kind of a thing, but he got decent, su- decent support and that can, and it grew a bit. And then it, it kind of rose and fall depending on uh, rose and fell. If I can speak in correct tenses, uh, depending on, you know, who would come into the ballot, you know, you'd have years, um, where a bunch of new guys come in the ballot and, you know, and then they, then they go away. And I, you know, um, 32 years is a long time to wait. I, uh, one of the, uh, great baseball writers of our day, Joe Posnanski, he wrote something about Jim Cott a few years ago that said, if he didn't hang on those, you know, four years as a relief pitcher, he thinks he would have made the hall of fame a long time ago, not because it even watered down his career, but because he would have hit the ballot before a bunch of other pitching legends and then at that time he would have had a two or three year span where he was without argument seen as the best pitcher on the ballot and usually the best pitcher on the ballot gets a ton of support but since he stayed to get this title and he said he would do it again and um you know that's what you play for um but then you had he pitched in a group of led uh, like a era of legendary pitching so then after after that um, after, uh, he did hit the ballot, Tom Seaver hit the ballot, Phil Negro, Don Sutton, Steve Carlton, um, Fergie Jenkins. These are all guys that made the hall of fame via the writers. So these are all pitchers that either won 300 games or struck out 3000 batters, which are like the two magic numbers for pitchers. I mean, he pitched like Jim Cott without getting too far into it he's probably like in the realm of the 12th to 16th best pitcher of his own time that's how good pitching was at the time i mean just you know it's uh it's just really it's just really crazy but 32 years of a wait you know he he had said um on the show that he uh you know he kind of had that thought that the hall of fame was in the rearview mirror and it wasn't going to happen he missed by two votes Six years ago, the last time they did the ballot, um, he's missed by three the time before that. You know, like it's been close, but he kind of felt like his best shot had had happened already. Yeah. And um, the most incredible thing, there's two most incredible things about this to me, just about the way the system ended up happening. The first is in uh, in 20 years prior to this week, the there's only been one player elected from this golden era. And that was Ron Santo cups, third baseman. That's it. In 20 years, only one person from that era was elected Yeah. at all. They had three or four shutouts. And it wasn't always every year. Um, you know, so it's not like, it's not like 19 times there was nobody elected, Yeah. yeah but, yeah. but five times there was nobody elected, um, you know, or something like that. It's six, five or six times. And Sunday, four guys made it at once, which is near impossible because there's 16 voters and you can only vote for up to four people. So mathematically, that's really insane. you really got to have a landslide for everybody to have that math work out that there's not some people that got three, four votes that are taking away from one of the top candidates. I mean, you had, I mean, and it shows many Minoso got 14 to 16, but the other three, 
got exactly 12, the number needed. And then the one sad part about it is Dick Allen from the Phillies, who had missed by one vote last time, missed by one vote again. They were one vote away from having five, which is yeah. the math. The mathematical limit is five. Yeah. If everybody gets all those votes, um, they're one vote away from that. And he and Dick Allen passed since the last last vote, which is really sad. I, I feel very bad for his family because he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, and hopefully. Well, now that know, all those guys are off, I'm sure he's going to get in. On that, that should help. That should help. And he'll be, you know, in five years, he'll be by far the lead candidate. And but after this 20 years log jam where only one name has really moved, this is having four, four years off will help Tiger uh, greats from this time, catcher Bill Freehand and pitcher Mickey Lolich. They have been finalists in this group here and there, not getting much support because these same guys keep missing by yeah, yeah. such a minimal amount. So, so, the, so that leads me to my other crazy point about this election. is So four guys made it, which is insane when we went five times where no one made it. And these same guys were on all five of those, of those times. Jim Cott waited 32 years, and of the four, his weight is the least yeah. of, the, of the, the guys. That's How, insane. 30, 30, 34, you said? He's 30, 32 years 32. he's been on the ballot. I mean, that's five Minnie years Min longer than I've been alive. Yeah, Minnie Minoso, insane. not longer than I've been alive, unfortunately. The other three, though, have all been longer than I've been alive. That's Minnie insane. Minoso's, well, well, Minnie Minoso's was technically 35, which is, which is younger than me. But he also played... And then came back. So he was like oh, on the okay. ballot for a year. Then he came back a couple of times. So then he wasn't on the ballot for another long time. So his first time on the ballot was 1969, which is way before I was born. But then, <laughs> then he wasn't on the ballot again until 1986. So okay. it was quite a difference. But so, so if you just consecutively, when we really thought he had a chance, he waited 35 years. Tony Oliva, who won three batting titles, and led the league in hit American League in hits five times and was Jim Cott's teammate um, on the Twins in the 60s, who had waited 43 votes. And unlike Cott, who had kind of decided just to not worry about the Hall of Fame, he never thought he was good enough for the Hall of Fame. He didn't want to whatever. Tony Oliva has been really close a lot more times overall, and he, he did think about it a lot, and he yeah. did talk about it a lot. And he finally made it and not in an egotistical way, but like, it's not like he was sitting there demanding, you know, that he'd be in the hall of fame, but you know, you, you're honest when you give interviews and you know, it's, he, you know, it definitely hurt, had hurt him that he hadn't been in the hall of fame. Yeah. Um, I, and have, then, I have a, a, a sort of a meta question for you to get you off your train of thought. I apologize. No, it's but all right. If you were a, a very good baseball player or anything of your day for that matter, would you rather win a World Series, Super Bowl, in our instance, Pulitzer Prize, than go into your respective Hall of Fame? It's a great question because there's so much difference to it. Like you, obviously, when you're playing, the the goal is to win a World Series, and it's it's different. So like Cot won, Cot pitched for like 25 years, and he won in his 24th year. Yeah. So did, but he won on a team that he'd only been on for like a year and a half. Yeah. So, like, I feel like if he won with the Twins, he would definitely say that for yeah. sure. And I think he does definitely. He personally definitely says the World Series title was what he was going for because he, he was there that long. Yeah. But there are very few players who play that long that don't have one. That didn't already have one. Or that, that don't have one 
that are Hall of Fame candidates. So yeah. it's hard because like he's etched in Cardinals history when they won the World yeah. Series, and he's always a World Series champion. He's got a World Series ring. But now, but like he's immortalized forever in Cooperstown. Yeah. It just comes down to what your priority is. I mean, like I, I would say that most people that aim to be a Hall of Famer might end up being kind of selfish players. Yeah. But I mean, to me, him being in the Hall of Fame is a much bigger deal than him being a lefty reliever on the 82 Cardinals. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it, it absolutely so, is a, a bigger I'm just curious of like, like, I mean, of the pr- of personal drive of like, because I, 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 Hall of Fames are cool. And I, I've been to the College Football Hall of Fame when I was a kid. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. But it's uh, obviously you, you intern there and it's sort of a, a big part of your life and you, you very much enjoy it. But to me, Hall of Fames are just kind of, oh, they're interesting. Like, they're cool. If I was an athlete, I would much rather have that World Series ring, that, that Super Bowl ring or, or something that right. I could be like looking at. Because Hall of Fame, like, yeah, it's cool. But most of the time, if I'm going to get elected, I'm dead or right. near dead. Um, right, right. I, I really I, appreciate I, it. Unless you're right, for sure. I feel like if, like, a healthy way to look at it is when if you're a player, your whole goal is to win the World Series. Yeah. But then later on, looking back, oh, it might be nice to be in the it Hall of Fame. You know it would I mean? be really cool if this It happened. would be really cool if they were in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that would be yeah, a bigger deal sure. to people later. So, sure. but uh, yeah, just a really, really interesting situation. So, the longest, the longest wait, getting back to the wait part, Gil Hodges hit the ballot. 53 years ago and he got the most support of the writers of all these guys he his last four years on the ballot he got more than 60 percent of the vote and he was the only player to not to get 50 you had to get 75 percent of the vote to make it he was the only player in history to get more than 50 percent that's not on the ballot currently yeah. Uh, to get it. Once Jack Morris got elected, he had gotten more than 50% and hadn't made it, but everyone else said, and he got like 64% his last time. And that was in 1983. Then he's been on these committees and almost made it for another 20 years. Now he died in 1972 of a heart attack when he was a manager of the Mets and the, he had led the Mets to the 69 miracle championship. Yeah. He could have had another 20 years as a manager and easily been a hall of famer. Yeah. And he almost was that, picked by the writers just as a player and he died so young and then this like new generation of players started hitting you know the committees and everything and people were trying to get players in while they were alive and it makes sense um and they ended up electing a lot of players in the you know 80s into the 90s that were alive thank goodness it's good when people are alive but the first thing i think about with this is uh gil hodge's widow is 95 years old wow. she's alive now she got the call now yeah, 53 cool. years later and she got the call in her home in brooklyn where they've lived since he played for the brooklyn dodgers she has wow. not moved since 1949 and i think that's incredible that's and cool. it's just awesome to see the joy on their faces too, because he's been so close for so long. He's missed by a vote here, a vote there, or, you know, a handful of votes on the writer's ballot and everything like that. So it's like collectively the four of them have waited like 175 years for this. How long were you? Uh, 53 years? Yeah. That's two Will Kennedy's lifetimes. Yeah. That's That's insane. 
That's insanity. Yeah. So, I mean, I think they all should have been elected long ago. Um, that log jam, though, that you kept mentioning. Like, that's, right. And that's it makes sense that why there was a log jam. Yeah. And then you throw the Cubs third baseman, Ron Santo, who made it a few years ago, like in there, too. Those five guys were the top five. Well, and now Dick Allen, too. Those six guys were the six driving forces of this committee every year. And then they took votes away from each other because, like, people want to support their own teammates or their own, you know, they have their own ideas of who they think is the best candidate and then they kind of all votes get split and thankfully this time it got split and some people moved in so um big day big day for zealand big day for jim cott obviously very also really 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 cool that he and tony oliva get to go in together because they played all of tony's career just about all of tony's career on the he played all his career on the twins and Cott played the first half of his career on the Twins before moving around to some other teams. But they played, you know, through the whole deck. You know, they probably played 12, 12 or 13 years together. And they were good years when the Twins were good. Um, and, you know, like I said, they won the pennant in 65. They were uh, perennial contenders when the, Yan you know, when, when the Yankees kind of ruled all, but the Twins kind of were like, uh-uh. Yeah. And then, and then other teams in the late 60s, like the Orioles and the Tigers were like, yeah, we're here too. Um, yeah. But the Twins were in contention just about every year during that time too, which was, you know, exciting after they had moved from Washington and everybody in Minnesota was like, oh my gosh, baseball. <laughs> and it's like, wait, good baseball. You know, usually expansion teams stink. It wasn't an expansion team. It was a move. Um, but, but in Washington, they were really bad. Yeah. And then they moved to the Twins. And then a couple years later, like four years later, they're in the World Series. And then three years after that, they, you know, they uh, they signed Rod Carew and who once ended up winning seven bad titles. Um, it was just uh, a really cool small market phenomenon that ended up yeah. happening. So uh, and then, of course, Cott went on to broadcast for the Yankees. Uh, well, for a lot of different networks, but on the S network, which is the Yankees network for a very long time. And then also. Um, he does MLB network. Now he used to, he was the, um, you know, the third member of the broadcast for a lot of world series with CBS working with Jack Buck, um, and Tim McCarver back before, uh, way back, way back when, um, so just really, just really happy. I mean, on a personal level, I mean, I've been, you know, obviously the hall of fame is a big deal to me personally. I used to go every year as a kid. I ended up doing my internship there. I still go a lot. Um, but it kind of, this is kind of a crossroads for me because I've been covering Cott's chances since I got here yeah. like 18 years ago. And so that's just personally, it's really cool to finally be able to see. I'm sure he's ready for me to stop asking you questions <laughs> about it. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that that's really exciting. And, uh, you know, and, and, and again, you know, was he the best player on the ballot? No, he'll tell you he wasn't. I'll tell you he wasn't. But he does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? You bet. And, uh, you know, this will help clear the way for other other guys, too. You know, like we said, hopefully Dick Allen makes it in a couple years. Hopefully he gets some Tiger representation in that era um, as well with Bill Freehand specifically. Um, so a lot of good things. It was a huge day for baseball. And then also to have the Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler from the Negro Leagues um, into, uh, which is, uh, you know, a really big deal. And that's other Buck O'Neill was, you know, he died waiting. Minnie Minoso died waiting. Ron Santo died waiting before. Um, Gil Hodges didn't really die waiting because he had only been on the ballot a couple years when he died. But like yeah. Tony, Oliva, and Jim Codd get to go in together alive 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. After this wait, and that's uh and the ceremony I mean it shows you how special it is. The ceremony will be what this summer coming up? Yeah, the end of July in Lots Cooperstown. We will have plenty of sentinel coverage from Cooperstown. I wonder who's going there. I love when I can make it a work trip. Uh, <laughs> you can extend out all your <laughs> mileage and everything. You're good. Yep. Sorry, uh <laughs> sorry, Will. I'm taking this one. Uh <laughs> yeah, it's summer, it's fine. I, I it's fine. So well, I will say, uh, my, hey, my mom lives close to Cooperstown. We could tag team it. Hey, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. <laughs> There's not so, a ton of high school stuff going on in the summer, so why that's not? That's true. It's very true. It's very true. You're just trying to get out of Ottawa County Fair coverage. I know it. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would be doing the same thing. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, great day again for Zealand for Jim Cott. Uh, it's been 32 years in the in the or 32 years in the making, I guess, since he first hit the ballot. Um, and just very cool that he's alive to enjoy, enjoy the honor. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely have more on this. We'll, we're hoping to talk, I'm hoping to talk to Jim in the next few days, next week or so. I know it's been nuts for him and we kind of got his initial reaction already, but I'd like, you know, we'll hopefully have some more, um, deeper coverage along the way from here to July, uh, to kind of build up to it. So, um, you know, we've obviously had a lot of coverage about him and his appearances here, and also his, you know, Hall of Fame chances over the years. But, you know, definitely want to bring some more stories that maybe we wrote about before it, he got real close to the Hall of Fame again and kind of bring back some some cool stories with him. So, um, but yeah, so that that was kind of capped off a huge weekend if you lived in West Michigan yeah. where, you know, a lot of exciting that same happen. Sunday you found out well, let's see. Michigan beat Iowa for the Big Ten title on Saturday night. Yep. Sunday, you found out they're in the playoff. You find out Michigan State's getting a, bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl. Yep. Central and Western both headed to bowls. Oddly, and, I, uh, speaking of Michigan State's Peach Bowl, they're playing Pittsburgh. A kid from Pittsburgh, uh, Will Knight, I believe his name is, went to Holland Christian. So there you go. He'll be playing Michigan State. Yeah. So you got lots of all kinds of stuff. So all that happened, and then at and then right after all that happened. Uh, the Hall of Fame announcement happened. So, I mean, that's a big – and the Lions won, by the way. Oh, and, 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 uh, and someone from Michigan, the Heisman finalist. Yeah, that's a ton of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. A, that's a ton of stuff all at once. A lot of waiting for a lot of teams. So, speaking of waiting, Will, Michigan football yeah. has been waiting to be a playoff team in this new playoff format. I mean, obviously, Started. it hasn't been eons since they've been in t- title contenders. They won the national championship in ni- 1997, but it's probably me aging myself. That I say that that's not that long ago when it really is that long ago. They haven't been realistic contenders since the playoff format started. We'll right. That, which has been, right. I believe, eight years now. Right. I mean, the one the one year was that fourth down Ohio yeah, State. against Ohio State, yeah. That was their, that's really their only year that they were in that format. They had the one year with Brady Hoke where they won the Sugar Bowl, which was really, really great. But they weren't title contenders. No. But they were still great. Yeah. Um, so it's just they've never been able to get past Ohio state. And then that just, they did this year and then all kinds of doors started opening up. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're playing, so they got the, they're still number two, Alabama's number one after knocking off former number one, Georgia, Alabama will play number four, Cincinnati and one of the semifinals and Michigan will play Georgia. Yep. Um, in the orange bowl in my hometown. It, let's, let's, uh, let's see if we can expense that out for me to get a trip on right. New Year's Eve <laughs> back to Miami. That would be uh, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. I agree. So, so let's get your will. Your I mean, moving from my expertise to your expertise here. Um, this is like a really cool podcast where we're both like in the middle of our crazy expertise. We're in our um, yeah. So, 
Give me your thoughts on these semifinal matchups. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's warranted. I think Georgia sort of took everybody by surprise how much they got smacked around by Bama in the SEC title game. Everyone sort of thought, everyone sort of thought Georgia would win by at least two scores, like 10 points or more. Um, and Alabama just took it to them. Uh, I don't remember what the final score is, but it was like a three score game. Um, and then everyone after that, yeah, everyone yeah. Sort of thinking back on this Georgia season, like, huh, maybe they're not all that good. Cause you look down at their schedule and they don't have like any top 25 wins. And it's like, huh, maybe they're not that good. And they just benefit from a terrible, terrible schedule. And Georgia's kind of known in the college football world, at least over the past 10 or so years as choke artists. I mean, Tua hit the bomb in the national title game on second and 30 um, to win the national title again over Georgia. They had a big lead, uh, gave it up to force overtime to, uh, with Alabama. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if Georgia's for real. I personally would have liked to see Bama and Georgia in the semifinal and Michigan and Cincinnati in the semifinal. I think that would have been more fun. I think right. the would have been better because the way it is now, it's kind of just set up for, you know, Bama can, can cruise um, to the title game, which is frustrating uh, though. They did undoubtedly earn the number one seed. I don't doubt that. Um, but I think Michigan versus Georgia will be an interesting game. Um, a lot of big boys in the trenches is where that game is going to be decided. Um, really good defense on both sides. I mean, really fantastic defense on both sides. Uh, sure. But yeah, no, it, it, it'll, it'll be a fun game. I, I'm really excited to see Cincinnati play in the playoff. I mean, they've gone two seasons undefeated in a row. Um, right. And they deserve it. Uh, I think one of my first columns I wrote for the Sentinel was like last January after bowl season sort of got uh, solidified and, and they made their selections. It was like, I was like, Oh, I, I wrote a column about how, how there's a massive power five bias in the college football playoff committee. Like UCF went two undefeated seasons in a row, even though I despise them. Um, they deserved a chance at the playoff. Didn't get it. Um, Boise state never got a chance at the playoff pre playoff format, but they never had a chance at a national title. Um, they beat Oklahoma on a crazy play back in like Oh six. Uh, and then now Cincinnati finally gets that chance. And the only reason they get that chance is because they got lucky enough to schedule Notre Dame and, and Notre Dame's the fifth ranked team in the country right? Um, and beat them handily at home. And they were still only ranked fourth, uh, which I think maybe they should be three and maybe drop Georgia to four. But, you know, I think the top four, this is probably the strongest top four since the playoff era began. Um, every yeah, there's a lot of debate season. also. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a ton of debate. I mean, even Michigan, Michigan has, uh, I think, I think Michigan has, uh, uh, some argument to being the number one team. Um, right, right. Right. Within the four, but I mean, like there's not a ton Notre of Dame, Notre of the Dame five, the top four teams, yeah. like there's no debate. This is, this is the clear, clearest four teams have separated themselves from the other 126 in definitely, uh, since the playoff format has began at least. Definitely. But um, you can mix and match the four of them. Yeah, you really you could. I mean, if you have Bama at one. It can't be number one, but otherwise you can mix and match them however you want. Well, I think Michigan could be number one. I think they have a oh, Michigan could, yeah. The, Georgia the way could. They handle, the, no, Georgia couldn't anymore. The way they handled Iowa, I mean, I, I think I said this on, on last week's podcast, like Iowa could hang around because their defense is fantastic. Um, right. And, you know, their offense looked uh, competent for the first drive of the game. They went down the field and missed like a 20 yard field goal. And then once right. that happened, I'm like, all right, well they lost. Right. Um, right. Cause, Cause Michigan went down and went up like 14, nothing. And I think it was like 14, nothing into the third quarter. Um, right. that Iowa defense was really good. Really Iowa good. Iowa defense is fantastic, but, but Oh God, I don't think I've ever seen an offense as 
putrid as that Iowa offense, man. Like the defense can only do so much. The score got away from them in the end, but the defense can only do so much when your offense goes three and out every every drive. Right. It's it's really lopsided. I mean, how many teams usually when a team's really bad defensively, they're just a bad team overall. Oh, like to be so good in one area and so bad in another area is so strange for a power five. I mean, Iowa is obviously traditionally always built on defense, but it's never this like it's never of this magnitude of of right. Their defense is incredible. Holy God, their offense looks like something we plucked out of the, you know, FCS, like Brown versus Yale game. We just picked all those guys up to put them in the Big Ten. Like, it's it's concerning. They can't run the ball. And that's a lot to do with Michigan's run defense. They can't run the ball, can't pass the ball. I think they changed quarterbacks like three times that game and nothing was working out. And they can't even kick the ball. They missed a very short field goal. It's just right. they need to figure something out. Right, for sure. But but it it benefits Michigan and and Aiden Hutchinson, who's a Heisman finalist and all that. So it's exciting. Um, New Year's Eve is the two semifinal games, which I kind of hate because, you know, uh, it's not going to get the fanfare it deserves, in my opinion. Um, Right. I would have preferred them to be New Year's Day, but, you know, it's fine. Whatever. Um, That's just how the bowl rotation goes. Um, And it'll be changing next year and the years after that. But it is what it is. Um, But, yeah, no, college football playoff, man. It's it's my favorite time of year. Bowl season is – is coming up army navies this weekend but then after that it's bowl season and bowl season's fantastic because it can be tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m and there can be college football on so that's that's my favorite time of year by far it's not christmas season it's bowl season for sure and if for anybody listening if you've never watched the army navy game watch it it's it's bucket list uh it's really fun it's it's bucket i mean the football is not going to be great you're going to feel like you got transported back to about 1980 or or 1960 i should say or even earlier um with the with the brand of football they play both teams are are triple option type run heavy teams Um, it's fun fun. last year army won 15 to nothing um and the entire game there was two passing attempts for a grand total of 37 yards yeah Um, and 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 it was it's just a it's just a hard-nosed team it's Army Navy game is what is so great about college football because it's a mutual admiration and a mutual respect between the service academies. It's all the tradition and fanfare that goes with it that you love in any college football game, but specifically this Army Navy game with the, the cadets and the midshipmen marching in on the field. And then there's that true unabashed dislike for each other. Right. Like Army's entire season, they say everything. Like if there's an interview, like, uh, Army's head coach would be like, oh, yeah, instead of saying go Army, they'll be like, oh, beat Navy. Beat Navy. Like, they say be like week three. You don't play Navy for 10 more weeks, but you're thinking right. beat Navy. Like, right. That's their that. thing. They're yeah. like, oh, beat Army. Both so, places, and I love it. It's it's fantastic. Um, and Army's probably favored. Army's the better team this year. But but it's always just – it's always fun. They always break out the coolest custom uniforms for these games in the past few years. Um like hand-painted helmets with like it's a lot of fun i definitely want to go see that game live at some point yeah that's 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 definitely on my bucket list Um, i've been to west point the campus and it is just like going back in time in a good way like my my um, grandfather was in the navy my dad was in the coast guard so we grew up a big like b army household quote unquote um and so that's like kind of my, my dream is, is one day to, to, to take my dad to uh, to Army Navy game at, at some point. Because my grandfather's unfortunately passed away, and so he wouldn't be able to see it. But that was kind of all of our three things. We're like, we want to go to an Army-Navy game at some point. Um, that's so awesome. That's, like, that's, that's bucket. Bucket list in general for me is to hit all 130 college football stadiums. But that's like 131 is, is Army-Navy, and that one's a special place, um, even though I have no connection to either school. That's that's Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's yeah. a great game. We had a couple of swimmers from Holland. Uh, the Woodenberg brothers, they ended up uh, going to Army 
okay. uh, and cool. swimming at Army. Um, but yeah, just really fun. Army Navy game is a ton of fun. Yeah, just really fun. Uh, so fun. I always enjoyed watching or uh, looking for their pictures on social media after the game, uh, just oh, from yeah. the stands. Yeah, just because yeah. it's, it's so much fun. It's different. It's, so uh, it's different. different when you know somebody there too, you know, yeah. so um, that's definitely cool. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, all right. What's your prediction? For well, our- I mean, we'll get to predictions later. What's your early prediction? Who's winning? Not all four games. Who do you think is winning the title? You can okay. change it. You can change it when we talk in two weeks. If you, you know, to. a week ago, I would have said Georgia pretty easily. Um, but now it's just like they're a death star, man. It's just it's Bama, 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 always Bama. They get hot at the right time. They don't make mistakes. And they're just stupidly good. Um, yeah. Like, I think the two best teams in the country are, are, are Bama and maybe Michigan, maybe Georgia. I think that, that I think that semifinal game between two and three is going to be real fun. That's going to uh, be a real good game. I think that's going to be a really fun game. Um, but, yeah, no, we'll see. Uh, I think Bama's probably going to win it all. I want Cincinnati to show some life because I've been, like, a, a champion of the group of five um, ever since that whole group of five, power five, like, split when the, when the playoff happened. Right. Um, so I've been a big champion of the group of five my whole whole journalistic career, I should say. Uh, you know, I went to a group of five school for undergrad. Um, didn't get all the respect we deserved, I thought, and everything. But that's another story. But, yeah, I, I think it's great. They're in the playoff. They deserve to be. I hope they can give Bama a scare because they're a really good team. People are kind of writing them off. They're a very good team. Um, right. But at the end of the day, you're playing Bama. So, I mean – you saw what just happened when Georgia played Bama. So I, I don't think it's going to be much better than that, um, right. which stinks. But the cool thing is uh, I'm trying to think. No, I was, I was going to say about Heisman finals. So two Heisman finals are representing the playoff. The other two are not. Um, yeah. So let's go to, let's go to that. I mean, we got, yeah. it's an interesting Heisman. It's year horrible. For sure. Finalists are terrible. Everyone in college football world is upset. Um, which makes no sense because the people who are upset also voted for it. And, and right. I'm not getting the disconnect here, but the finalists are um, Aiden Hutchison, defensive end from Michigan, who is rightfully deserves to be a finalist. Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama, who also I would say deserves to be a finalist. Um, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, quarterback from Pitt, who is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, but Heisman finalist might be a bit of a stretch. Um, and CJ Stroud, quarterback from Ohio state, which I, uh, I mean, I guess, um, but of any year to have three quarterbacks and one defensive end on the, on the finalist, it's just absurd that it's this year. I mean, no quarterback really stood up above the rest. Right. Um, and I want to, I want to, I, I put pulled stats up cause I knew we would talk about this. So let me read you stats of two people and you tell me which one deserves to be a Heisman finalist. Okay. All right. So this is for a, a defensive lineman. So 33 tackles, 25 assisted tackles, 58 total, 15.5 tackles for loss and 13 sacks or 82 total tackles, 27.5 tackles for loss and 14 sacks. Well, given this year, I would say both. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fair. Aiden Hutchinson is the one with the lesser stats. Aiden Hutchinson right. is there. The, the, the man with 14 sacks and 27.5 tackles for loss, which take away his tackle, take away his sacks. And he still has, I think, more tackles for loss than Aiden Hutchinson. Um, uh, I'm not good at math. Sorry, I'm a journalist. But, um, but it's close. It's close. Yeah. And, and to not and that's that's Will Anderson, defensive lineman from from Alabama. And to not have him as a finalist 
and have his quarterback as a finalist is a bit upset. I personally would have loved to have Aiden Hutchinson and Will Anderson in New York. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I said Aiden Hutchinson absolutely deserves to be there, but I don't think he'd win. Um, and I just think it's absurd that Bryce Young is the betting favorite to win and most likely will win um, when he's not even the best player on his team. Right. It's yeah, just- that's uh, that's um, that's always the tough spot with defenders, and that's why there's not too many defenders who are ever finalists. Great to see a de- at least one defender. It's good to finalist. see at least one, but there should have been three. Right. I mean, and so if, like, I feel like if there were two defenders, they would split their votes and the quarterback would win anyway from Alabama. I just don't get how Ken. I think Hutchinson actually has a like a dark horse's chance because he's the only defender in a in those three quarterbacks. There's like you were saying, there's not a ton that separates them. But does so, it make you feel better if a defender wins, even if he's not the best defender in the country? I, I mean, that would just make me more mad. It's hard. It's hard, especially in football, because like statistics are great. Sometimes they can be a little misleading well and statistics in anything can be misleading because you can use whatever you want you were saying totals which is not misleading because that's you know those are totals but at the same time when you have 27.5 tackles for loss i don't think there can be anything misleading about that right but i mean like if but if what but if but if seven of them are against like you know a cupcake team you know what i mean everybody plays cupcake teams agreed Agreed. But you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I, I get it. Like, if, if he happened to have seven tackles for a loss against like East Carolina and oh, Hutchinson had seven. All right. Who, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, I don't know. Ball State. And then, uh, sure, uh, sure, baby. The, uh, and then, and then Hutchinson has seven tackles for a loss against Ohio State. I don't think he had seven, but, but like, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a little bit of a, a, no. a bad there but oh, i get it so but I, at the same time just for argument's sake I, i'm looking at his game logs right now his highest single game tackle for loss number is four and he tied he got four against mississippi state four against lsu three and a half against arkansas and three against georgia that's legit that is I legit and it's so, also yeah. very consistent yeah he's his, his highest is four his lowest is he got zero in one game but he always has at least one outside of that I mean, that's impressive. I would say he deserves to be there, too. I mean, and there's four finalists, right? Sometimes there's three, sometimes there's five. What would be the harm in having him there, too? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't get a Heisman vote yet. They let the writers vote one day. I'm hoping I'll get one, and I can write one. I never understood that with the Heisman. I mean, like, there are so many years where I'm just, like, baffled by it because, like, okay, now, don't get me wrong. When in '97, when Charles Woodson won as a defender, primary defender, yeah. I was a kid. I mean, I was what was I? I was a teenager, and I didn't think he was going to win. Even though, from my perspective, I thought. I mean, but I didn't know how biased my perspective was. Is watching yeah. Michigan win the national title? He was the most dominant, disruptive player there was. He scored touchdowns on offense, defense, special teams. Everything. I mean, like it was mostly defense, but he had some amazing interceptions. He kept having interceptions, even when people were throwing somehow, you know, not throwing to him. He still would manage to get some interceptions the one time they did. But Peyton Manning was there, too. Yeah. Everyone thought Peyton Manning was going to win. Everybody thought Peyton Manning was going to win. And they called called Charles Woodson's name. And we went kind of nuts because we were like, 
really? Like we, we understand why, but we just didn't think the vote would go that way. You know what I mean? Like, and there's been so many, so many instances like that over the years where it's just, I mean, that's highlighted in my brain because it was a local person, you know, like, but there's just so many times where I'm like, really, that guy was the best. I would say most of the time it ends up being something stupid like that. Like, I think last year is an instance when they got it right, when they got Devonta Freeman, because it was everybody knew it was going to be Devonta Freeman or Mac Jones were the two who were like, it was, it was going to be, it was going to be one of the Bama guys. But Devonta right. Freeman made Mac Jones' life so much easier. So I think they got it right by giving it to him and, 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 and all that. Um, but I feel like every year there's some controversy over who it should be. But right. this year, the finalists got announced, and there's more controversy than there usually. Right. Usually the finalists are like, yeah, no, these make sense. This year, it's just like, what are you doing? Like, why? Right. Right. I feel like the winners actually lately have been more understandable, but it's been the finalists that have been weird. You know, like Joe Burrow, I thought that was an easy pick. That was probably the uh, Joe Burrow, for my money, had the greatest single season of college football history. Right. And then you got Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Lamar was Henry, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. Back to Johnny Menzel and RG3. I mean, I don't remember there being... Oh, and then Cam Newton, Mark Ingram, and Sam Bradford all right before RG3, yeah. and then Tebow. That's, I mean, that's a lot of. Most of those make sense, I would say. Most of those make sense, yeah. I feel like I feel like the finalists have been where they've, you know, been lacking. Yeah, but, but it's a thing where it's the finalists are lacking, but in that finalist, you're like, yeah, so we know who's going to win already. Like, we, we know who this one clear-cut person, like, in, in Lamar Jackson's year, like, yeah, clearly Lamar, Lamar Jackson is going to win. Or Joe, or Joe Burrow's year, like you said, like clearly. Right, you knew it. This year, we don't know. This year, it's like the finalists are underwhelming, and I don't know who the heck it's going to be. Right. I feel like the last time we really didn't have, we really had this was in, like, because all those guys we said, that I just said, they make sense. They were pretty obvious, number ones. 2006, Troy Smith. To me, I didn't, I feel like that was the last time there was, like, a question. <laughs> I was in fourth grade, man. I had not I didn't watch it. <laughs> Ohio State quarterback Troy Smith won in 2006. Matt Leinart won the year before. That made sense. Yeah. Jason White won the year before. That made sense. Carson Palmer, that made sense. The year before that, Eric Crouch. Uh, I feel like that one was uh, not the way I would have voted. Uh, Chris Wanky, the year before, made wow. sense for Florida State. Of course, he was like 1,000 years old, so he had all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ron Dane and Ricky Williams, the two years before that, 98 and 99, they both set the all-time rushing record. So Ricky Williams certainly makes sense. I didn't I – Yeah, know. Ron Dane broke his Ricky Williams all-time rushing record yes, in Wisconsin, and he ran over Michigan and everyone else that year. And then Charles Woodson in 97. So, I mean, yeah, you got some, got some weird ones there when I was a kid before that, though. Danny Werfel from Florida. Eddie George made sense. He was from Ohio State. He dominated everybody. Fun Colorado running back Rashawn Salam in 1994. I have, I have a very fun fact about Eddie George. Gino Toretta. That has nothing to do with football. Yeah, go for it. So Eddie George is now he's currently a head coach of Tennessee State University, which is HBCU. This is his first year as a head coach. But in between doing football and being a head coach again, he never coached anything. Or anything. He was like super into like acting. Like he was a Shakespeare actor um, at like awesome. outdoor theaters in like Nashville and stuff. Um, and then he's like, well, I'll try my hand at singing. So I saw when I lived in Chicago, I saw Eddie George play Billy Flynn in the Broadway tour production of Chicago. That's awesome. And there's one song in it and like, he does like dancing and stuff. And there's one song in it. And I think I was the only person in the entire theater to catch it. 
but like he could kind of freestyle dancers and he hit the Heisman pose. And I was like, I was in the theater just like, oh, he did it. He right. Did it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that this niche like uh, intersects where I will understand this reference. That's awesome. Chicago is a great show too. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good time. But that's uh, awesome. That's my random. Very, very cool. Very cool. So anyway, uh, that's a great, no, I'm glad you shared that. That's really awesome. Um, circling back, this is the, the first up in the air winner vote yes in my book since 2006 i i think i think bryce Young well, i mean there's a couple of them where it was maybe a two horse race one or the other you know or whatever but yeah. um but i i don't i feel like i mean i feel like i'd vote for hutchinson not because i care anything about michigan but because the other three quarterbacks are so similar and I feel like if it wasn't Hutchinson, if it was Walker from yeah, Michigan yeah. State, I'd vote for him ahead of these three guys. I, I or if it was the Alabama him. defensive end, I'd, or I'd vote for him. Yeah, I just those quarterbacks. I just look at what they've done. I'm like, I don't think you've done enough. It's it's very much like a, a what have you done for me lately kind of competition too, which is under which is disappointing because it should be it's it goes to the most outstanding player of college football over that year, not the last three weeks. Right. Um, but like so Bryce Young played horrible against Auburn, which was their rivalry game before the SEC championship right. game. But he led like a game winning drive with like three minutes left and then they won in overtime. So that got up right. a lot of like, oh, he's so poised and under pressure. Da da da. He threw five touchdowns the year the, the game before that. And then in Georgia, he really right. kind of and then they beat number one Georgia. Yeah. He, Those are signature wins. Yeah. I mean, he was against Georgia, he threw for four hundred twenty one yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions. So that was kind of right. like that was sort of, I don't want to say his coming out party, but that was sort of like the, I, everyone has a Heisman moment. That would be his is because he's going to win it. I, I would put exorbitant amounts of money on it right now. He's going to win it. Um, but that's going to be like his Heisman moment, which is just annoying to me because he's not, like I said, not the best player on his team. He's a right. fantastic player, probably rightfully deserves to be a, a finalist, but sure. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with you there, but yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. But shout out to the ACC for getting some representation in the Heisman finals. It's not from Clemson. Right. That's been a while. Yeah. So. Probably back in the UM days or Florida state when they were, Oh, Jameis, Jameis Winston, I guess, or Lamar, Lamar, even. Okay. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You but, kind of forget about Louisville sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I kind of forget Louisville because they were in the big East. Right. Right. It's that with all that, all those changes over the years. Um, so, okay. So let's shift gears. We'll talk a little bit about high school basketball. I mean, the boys, Started last night. Um, Holland lost in their opener. Holland lost by ten. Um, and they, they should be a good team, though. But a lot of their, a lot of the other games, some of the games got moved because of school situations and things like that. Um, but you and I both covered double local girls basketball games on Friday. Yeah, that ended up very fun. Right, both one or two point games. I mean, last possession kind of games. Um, so, Will, I'll start with you. I mean, you had. Hamilton versus Zealand West, yeah. two teams that, you know, have talented players. The two probably – the not probably. Definitely the two best post players in the area went head-to-head -head and both had big games in a, you know, a little game within the game with uh, Zealand West's Kara Bartels and uh, Hamilton's Kira Kleinhexel. I mean, just what what was that like watching that game within the game? And then, you know, it, the, and then talk about the awesome finish. Yeah, so I mean, going into it, I didn't know. I never covered Zealand West last year, girls basketball team. I covered Hamilton, I think once, but 
but obviously the story of last year's Hamilton team was AJ Ediger. So I didn't really know who this, this, uh, Klein Hexel, uh, girl was. Um, but I mean, it was very apparent in about five minutes into the game that, that Bartels and, and Klein Hexler were going to be like the focal points of not only the offense, but defensive side of the ball too. Um, it was like, all right, this is going to be fun. Like strap in, there's going to be a, a, a fun show to watch down on the post. Um, and it was, I mean, they both scored 21 points. Uh, I don't remember the final score of that game because it was, I think a week ago today or, or tomorrow, right. but um, it came down to, it was a one point game. I think it was like 52, 53 was a final score. Um, but it was, it was wild. The defense for Zealand West was just locked down in the second half. I mean, it was locked down. That's how they're going to win games. Hamilton did not make a field goal um, for the final 12 minutes of the game. They didn't make a field goal for the final 1130 of it. Um, so they, I think they scored like two or three points off free throws. Um, but then, you know, 30 seconds left, uh, Hamilton needs a shot. They're down by three. Hamilton needs a shot and they get it to, to Kyra or Kira or Kyra. Kira. Kira. Uh, uh, she was Kyra. Up. Yeah, man. I've said that so many now. Ah, you got me second guessing myself now. You gave it to Klein Hexel. Yeah. Klein Hexel. So they get it to Klein Hexel <laughs> in the corner, just drains a three. Like, oh man, all right, tied up with like 24 seconds left. We got mad drama. Um, Zealand West goes exact down the court. Um, they try and get into the post, but you know, I think it was like an errant pass. So Hamilton goes and steals it. Klein Hexel goes back down the court. She goes up for a layup or, or something and gets fouled, makes one of the free throws. So now they're up by one. Um, and Zealand West has like eight seconds left. So they bring it up court, call a timeout, get an inbound pass, and get it to Bartels. She she hits like a nice shot, fade away at, the, at right at the buzzer. She lets go of it, buzzer goes off, and hits the the rim and bounces out. So it it was really exciting, really fun. I don't even like basketball all that much, but I was excited by it. Um, yeah, it, was, it was it was game. a fun time. That's awesome. Good to see fun games like that. And then I had a similar game. Uh, West Ottawa played against Holland Christian at the Civic Center, which is a rare thing for a straight up girls game to be at the Civic Center. Not a, we used to have those for like the girls boys double headers. And then uh, the girls to be good this year. Yeah, and then the girls would play just at at the high school, which doesn't have the same amount of stands, and it's not as exciting, you know, and everything. So it was really good to see them get a civic center game for a girls game, so that they can, especially against another local team. I mean, um, and and West Ottawa, I thought was going to run away with this game because they have. Four senior starters plus their sophomore was on our all-area team as a freshman last year, and she might be the best player in the area. And then Holland Christian has some young talent, but it's really young, yeah, and yeah. nobody has, has played a ton, you know, have a single senior previous years. So I w- – but it was it ended up being a one-point game. West Ottawa hung on to win by a point um, or two points, a basket or a point. I think it was a point, though. But, like – they never West Ottawa never gave up the lead. They were leading by like a point or two, like the whole game. And it would they'd go up, they'd go up four, then it was back to one. Then they would go up four, and then it was back to one. Like, and I think it was tied at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, but it was an incredibly entertaining game. Both teams were playing really good defense, and they were really you know denying shots and uh made it really difficult to get anything going i mean i feel like the game was like your game was like 50 in the 50s this was like 32 to 31 or 33 to 32 or something like that like the defenses were, were there and in full force but like it was a good like i feel like holland christian was 
West Ottawa a couple years ago. Yeah. Young, talented team, very athletic, going to surprise some teams, but also show their youth at times. Um, and West Ottawa just kind of kept the poise even when things got shaky, and then they ended up hanging on to win by a point. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really great game. And I can't remember the last time we had – It's been a, it's been a long time since we had girls' game – two girls' games with double local – schools that had this good of a game yeah. at the same time i mean not even necessarily in the same night i mean even in the same season yeah i mean hamilton's been so good for so long that they've been just kind of rolling over all the other local teams west ottawa's had their moments where they win big or not you know holland christian has had their way with holland high and the girls basketball scene but not with hamilton but pre prior to this hamilton like dynasty i guess or whatever like what five or six years right yeah Holland Christian and Hamilton games were legit. They were better than the boys games. Both teams were good for, uh, you know, there was about a five or six year period where both teams were good. Last second shots happened, all kinds of things. It was, uh, you know, pretty epic to watch. Um, but it's been a while. We haven't had that, that good rivalry. I mean, Zealand East and West games have been good, but both They're teams, fun. yeah, they've been fun. But I mean, the past couple of years, two, three years, they've been fun and close but close because both teams were just, were, were not great. You know, they weren't, uh, they weren't bad teams, but there's two average teams that played cl- a close game, you know, so which last is, year. Oh, you're talking, you're talking about girls, right? Yeah. yeah. Girls. Yeah. I mean like, and then we had years where Meg was on Zealand East where those games were pretty good. Um, but usually they had the upper hand against West. So it's just, it's, it's been a while. I think they East East back then had a couple good games against West Ottawa, but it's just, it's very hit or miss, and especially in a season where I thought girls basketball was going to be down overall because we only got two all area players coming back. Yeah, I we, so I I'll say this: I the don't dynamic know, changes. I don't know if we're going to have a team that we expect to make like a deep state run, kind of like we thought Hamilton might last year. But I think as a whole, it's going to be very competitive locally, at least. Um, Absolutely, I think the overall level of play for the teams is rising. Yeah, and it's it's going to make it so much more competitive for, for, for sure. And I think we, we would be remiss. I mean, we, I, I had to do like a quadruple take last night and I texted you about it. Holland high school is, is three and oh, their girls, the girls are three and oh, I mean, and they, I can't they're not just three and oh, they're a resounding three and oh, they won. Right. Like what, what was the score? I texted you last night. Like, Oh, I got to double check it. They beat somebody in the teens, like, maybe. Right. I mean, points. yeah. I mean, it's, they, I can't remember. I, we'll have to figure that out. I'm looking it up right now. So see them. I can't remember the last time that they were three and zero. I don't know if they've been three and zero since I've been here. Um, Holland beat Coopersville fifty-seven to twenty-two last night. Okay. I mean, that's insane. That's a lot. And that's I mean, lot. They, it's it's. I mean, Holland has been record-wise, they've been really bad for a long time. Very but they good. always have good athletes. But they're just not always basketball players first. Yeah. So you get athletic wins. But you, but you, against great teams, they, you know they just don't have enough. Um, they had one. They had one good year in there where they won six or seven games. You know, with the same kind of thing though. But they were all athletic. And even if you just have a team full of athletes that aren't basketball first, you you might beat Coopersville by like ten or fifteen. You're not going to beat them by thirty. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a statement. Yeah, I don't know how good Coopersville is, but beating anybody at, again uh, by 35 points at, at what we were expecting Holland to be like, you know, just an athletic team of, of just, you know, people. Right. You think, I mean, I figured they'd win. I mean, you know, there's there's been some years where they haven't won any, and there's been some yeah. years where they've won one or two. I think last I, figured, year I figured they'd win five or six games. I didn't think they would start 3-0. and Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I was fully expecting like Holland to be, like you said, a, a bunch of girls who are like, you know, trying to stay in shape for other sports that they play and just playing basketball for fun. Um, but man, 35 points, uh, going three and Oh, did not expect that. I thought maybe three wins all season. Right. That's very impressive. So, uh, very good for them. Uh, it's a good start. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the overall level of play is rising. We might not have a Hamilton team that makes it to the state quarters or something, but maybe we will, who knows, you know, but I mean, as of now, I would say that doesn't, that doesn't look like that's what could happen or what will happen, but it could happen. But but it's going to lead to some really great games. A lot of times we've had so years of where, like I was saying, most of the games aren't great because there's clearly a better team. Yeah, exactly. And now everybody's just kind of, if everybody's just at even average to above average yeah, or even average to decent, you know, to good, almost good, you know, like that's, I don't that's, think there's any teams that would be below average in our area at, at least. Not. I mean, I thought Hamilton or Holland might be one, but I think they've proven through three games. Maybe. I mean, yeah, at least with the big school. I mean, Saugatuck's going to have a decent year. I mean, Fen- Fenville's down. Oh, they've been Fenville, down. down. I mean, it's, that's um, – they're, they're just struggling to get the numbers, you know, and that's been yeah, that's their thing. But Saugatuck's going to be good. Saugatuck should be good. I mean, at least, you know, not a drop-off. I mean, they they – They'll drop off a little bit because they had a great year last year, and, and, and they had three three seniors that were all region. You yeah. know, I mean, there, there's no way to go but down from that yeah. a little bit. You know, um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how they they respond. But I think Zealand West definitely seems better. Um, East is going to be good. They didn't have a ton. Ha- of- Hamilton's not going to be better because they don't have Edgar, but, no, but they're still going to be. But a, they're not a, bad by any means. West yeah. Ottawa's West Ottawa probably will be better, even though they lost their best player too, Alyssa Carner, who was an All-State honorable mention player. Um, so that's, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit of a dip for Zealand East too, because they had some senior, a lot of seniors on their starting lineup last year. Um, but that a, a dip doesn't mean a dive. You know what I mean? Like. How can you not have a dip when you have four senior starters and you lose them? You know, like, I mean, that's just natural. Um, so, but we'll see what happens. So it looks no, like, but Holland Christian's up. Holland's up. West Ottawa's up. Uh, Zealand West is up. It's yeah. exciting. Even though you mentioned Zealand East having those seniors who left, I mean, they still have their best player though. I mean. Yeah. Maddie Schur is still back. Yeah. yeah. She's still, I mean, they're, so if you have, if you have your best player returning, you're going to be, I don't want to say you're going to be fine, but you're, you're ahead of the game. I would say. as a right. Yeah. So. Right. So that's definitely going to be. Um, you know, that'll definitely, she'll definitely keep them in games and, and enough where, you know, we'll see who rises around her, you know, that, that doesn't always happen in the first couple of weeks, you know, so, uh, you know, that it'll be an interesting journey for them too. So, um, then we'll have more ba- boys basketball coverage for you this week. Um, we got, uh, Zealand West and West Ottawa playing each other this week, uh, Holland Christian, South Christian playing each other this week. Um, it's good, good start. Good first Friday of the boys season coming up. So we'll, we'll break all that down next week. Um, and we got grand Valley soccer. We should men- definitely mention them. They're in the, uh, final four for division two. They play Thursday. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens from there. If you want more coverage on them, definitely check out the story I wrote, uh, on them on, on hollandsandal.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll have plenty more, more to talk about. We'll get really further into swimming and wrestling and that kind of stuff too. And hockey, um, as, as you know, those kind of move into their, into their seasons as well. So, um, but sports are back, they're all around and we've got good athletes in every sport, every gender, every, everything. So it's going to be, uh, it's, it's hopefully going to be a very exciting winter. So, um, 
stay stay warm and safe, but uh, get out and see some sports when you can. And uh, Will and I will be back next week to discuss uh, what happens this weekend.